1: Lee Cantor here, another episode of Atlanta Business Radio. And these are my very favorite episodes. They are the GSU ENI radio episodes. And today's guest will be no different than the others fascinating, interesting, and doing amazing things. Today's guest is Ambria Hardy, and she is with the Maxwell House. Welcome, Ambria.
0: Welcome. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us about your firm. How are you serving folks?
0: Yes. So the Maxwell House is actually a hybrid social enterprise. There's the Maxwell House Residential Agency, which is our for-profit branch. And then we have the Maxwell Academy, which is our non-profit side of it, which makes that a kind of a hybrid social enterprise. So the brokerage just... Pretty much your standard brokerage where basically we assist buyers, we assist sellers. What's uh, more I guess socially, you know, inclined for business is the fact that we kind of look at African American consumers in the real industry as a vulnerable consumer. When we look at the, when we look at the American Housing Survey, when we look at the U.S. Census Bureau, what we notice is that African Americans tend to have the, the, the worst of the pickings when you consider appraisals, for example, if we're looking at a homeowner or a home buyer, specifically a homeowner. Typically, appraisals in predominantly African-American communities tend to be lower than those in other communities. That includes Hispanic, Asian, and white communities. When we look at uh, mortgage rates, interest rates, even when we had our season of really low interest rates in the mortgage industry, what we saw was, and also reported by the American Housing Survey, was that African-Americans who not only have higher credit scores than their parts, but also with more income they are also being charged higher interest rates as well. So you have the appraisal, then you have the interest rates. Then you also have the competition of the seller's market where people are pretty much kind of picking, you know, the best case scenario as far as homeowners who would buy the house. So you have people who are already disadvantaged monetarily and just socially in the real estate market, competing with other people who have, Competitive interest rates, competitive appraisals in that market in there, you can see that they're losing. That's also reported that the pandemic also increased the wealth gap between African Americans and pretty much every other American.
1: So how does Maxwell House help kind of solve these challenges?
0: Yeah. So as far as the real estate brokerage side of it, again, it is just a standard day to day. But what we do is we, we pretty much hold the hand of our, our clients um, from from the time that they even consider purchasing or selling a home. Um, as far as appraisals, we, we have like um, lawyers that we work with that help us fight appraisals. Um, tide waters, if they're VA um, lender loans as well. Um, as far as buying a home, we help. Our, uh, we use the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. We use their um, education to help our consumers learn how to choose interest rates, how to shop for mortgage loans and how to really have that conversation with underwriters to make sure that the points that are reflected um, as something that is fair and something that that they do most often with every consumer and not just African-American consumers.
1: So a lot of your work is education, but you're also kind of uh, walking someone through and and helping them, you know, get that loan, get the uh, proper appraisal and get their dream house or sell their dream house.
0: Yes. Well, what we and what we actually try to do is take away from that dream house ideology. We don't we don't support that ideology. ideology at the maxwell house because i just don't think that as a whole the african-american community is uh, is ready to type of house i want based on aesthetics and things of that nature because we haven't um, built a system where um, let me see. How would, I, how would I put this? We haven't really built a system where we could say, you know, this is the time for me to buy exactly what it is that I want and I desire in my house. Yes, there there are plenty of African-Americans with good jobs that, you know, make decent, you know, salaries, livable salaries and even better. But what we have to understand is that it's more important to look at where we are buying land. And if that land is something that's going to increase and in appreciate and value over time, what we have to focus on is whether or not we're in a school system that supports our children. We have to recognize that we can't buy houses the same way other people buy houses right now because we're just not as a whole in a position to do that. And so our education is a very, very immersive sort of um, education where we can either help you in the process now or help you prepare for the process in the future. And, it, and we teach you how to look at houses. And I use myself as an example, My myself and my husband, we became homeowners at twenty five and twenty seven. And how we did that was I really took a lot of the information that I received. I was someone as a child um, that was always kind of. I stuck to the statistics. For example, in in grade school, we have a class, um, sex education, for example, and you hear these types of things. And if you go to a predominantly Black school, it's even scarier, right? Because you'll hear things like, well, one in four African-American women will be HIV positive by the time they're 30, or one in six African-American women will be teenage mothers, or, you know, one in three African-American men will be incarcerated now when you go to a school that is predominantly black you can literally just sit in the class and you go one two three you one two three you and so I've always been someone that always wanted to go against the grain as far as that and so that's also the process that I thought in my mind when I purchased my very own house and so even me, I'm the youngest of six, and I am the first person in my family to actually um, get married without having a child first. I'm actually the first one to get a bachelor's degree. I'm actually the first person to actually own a house <laughs> and, and and to buy a house that has appreciated o- over 300000 since we Interested in 2017. And so that methodology that I use for myself and my husband, I like to share that with other African-Americans who are interested in building generational wealth and not necessarily just buying a beautiful house, you know, and, and that goal is there. I, I never tell people not to have that goal, but I'm saying let's let's be realistic for a second. We, if, if, if we lost our job, could we still afford this house are are we really, are we suffering monthly with every other thing because we have to make a mortgage on this beautiful house? We want to buy what we can afford and then let that buy our next house for us. And so that's really the methodology that I use in my immersive learning, which goes into the not-for-profit portion, which is the Real Estate Academy. So the Real Estate Academy offers CE courses and um, pre-licensed courses. So basically, Anyone who would like to become a real estate agent can come through the Maxwell House Real Estate Academy, take the pre-licensed course, pass the state exam and become licensed. This is a really great opportunity for I think people like myself. When I went to college, I went to college on a full ride scholarship. I was the only one of to do so. to assist me in other ways so i was in three part-time jobs back when the average um hourly wage was 725 trying to do that maintain the 3.0 gpa someone should have introduced me to real estate at the time i wouldn't have had to work so many jobs i could have sold one or two houses and made enough money to support you know whatever my needs were my food needs etc so i think it helps in that um, I definitely look to bring on freshmen and younger, you know, generations just to kind of teach them how to make that money quickly. Also, with that, you get C credits. C courses are woven some sort of African American history, some sort of geographic information systems um, learning, and just over you know financial literacy for agents and both their clients. I teach agents how to talk to a vulnerable consumer who are the African-Americans with these courses. But then there's a third tier, and there's the consumer facing education as well, where we do all ages, all age groups. We have coloring books, we have chapter books, and then we also have books for adults as well who are looking to learn more about financial literacy and how to build generational wealth because it has to be a family-wide conversation like if if your five-year-old comes to you and say mom you know what am i inheriting that's kind of one of those jaw-dropping moments at the dinner table where you say you know what we, we really should have that conversation. And I think this education is going to bring about that conversation um, as an everyday conversation.
1: So, um, I guess since you've kind of tasted the benefits of home ownership and of uh, using real estate to create generational wealth, you're really using that knowledge and information to help other people kind of leverage that in a similar way that you have?
0: Yeah. Yes, I would say that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, I, I would never go so far <laughs> as to as to you know teach someone something that, one, I don't feel confident saying that I know. But also, I wouldn't put someone through a process that I myself haven't gone through. And this is a process that I've gone through completely by myself. And so every trial and error, I had to kind of figure out and strategize how to mitigate those. Um, obstacles by myself and so now i have that blueprint to just pass on to other agents to teach their clients to other families to teach their children their sisters and even um and just other agents so that we can be more competitive in the real estate market um and and help build more generational wealth which is widening obviously
1: now, um, how did you find out about the Main Street Fund? How did that get on your radar, and, and how has it helped you um, grow your business?
0: It's very interesting how that, how that came out. So, again, um, if I remember my story, which was um, we started working. Um, once I, I started working a lot. And I would I would pull in so many full time positions that I would just drop out a semester. If I got offered a full time job, I would drop out that semester, complete my full time job, save that money, you know, maybe go back to school the next semester. maybe And then I I just. And you working, and I knew that I had to work because I had to eat. My bills came every month, like everyone else's did. I'm 19, 20 years old, but real world was rest upon me. Even though I did go to school on a full ride scholarship. And so, with the money that I made through real estate during the real estate boom, um, I ended up quitting my job with Clayton County Community Development, and I went full time into real estate, and I did well. I did very well. And around this time, my husband ended up getting a better job as well. So I was able to pull back and pay cash to finish my senior year. One of the classes that I took, I met M.K. um, Musadak Khan. And for our final exam in this class was the introduction to social entrepreneurship. In that course, um, our final exam was a pitch. And what I did was I just chose to pitch something that I had already been doing, right? Which was real estate and helping African-Americans and just showing people how to build generational wealth, how to actually buy a house, especially if you're a first-time homebuyer in your family, you know, and things like that. And so he was so um, drawn to my... My enthusiasm for it, my passion for it, and also my presentation. I put a lot of energy into it. And so he then recommended to my professor to have me apply for the program. And that's how I joined the program.
1: And have you benefited from going through that?
0: I have very much benefited from going through this program because I'm someone that I had to get gritty at a very early age. And so to have someone say, you know what, I recognize what it is that, that you've been doing. And I see how organic it is for you. Let me assist you in building this. Um, I definitely have learned so much about entrepreneur lens. Um, state, you kind of get thrust into entrepreneurs and independent contractor, but it's more of a hustle. And I think on this side, what what it taught me was how to organize my processes, organize my thoughts, how to deeper into customer discovery and things of that nature. So this has been a very organized approach to what I had been doing, which was hustling at a higher level. Now it's more business you know, business etiquette.
1: And you're learning from others who have done it before you and you're trying to do the same thing with your skills and your experiences and try to help others learn from you.
0: Yep, and it, and it's a great opportunity to just meet other like-minded individuals. Um, just being in a cohort, it's a cohort of 15 different founders and just bouncing ideas off of each other is just something that, I really desired, you know, especially when I first got into real estate back in 2016, um, you know, just to share that kind of think tank. When you're in real estate and you and you in from from an outsider and become an insider, everyone's very tight lipped. Um, you have to figure it out completely by yourself um, as from the fear of maybe she'll take it and do it better. Maybe she has more money to do it, to implement this faster. So you don't really get to share ideas with other real- realtors or real estate brokers um, organically, unless you kind of got into that group, got into that crew, which I've done. But this kind of happens quickly. It happened quickly. Everybody genuinely trusts you and have an authentic desire to see you win as well, even though we are all in the competition.
1: Now, uh, any advice for other founders out there or people who, you know, maybe it wasn't their first thinking to be in a startup or to found something But, um, you know, they decided to take the plunge and go for it. Any advice for them about uh, doing something like this? I
0: would say the best advice, because I did end up taking another full-time position. I never took jobs. So I actually ended up taking a full-time position around the same time that I did um, get accepted into the cohort. And I would say, um, and this is just, you can't serve to. Two entities at once. And I think there are a lot of people who work full time in the program and they're doing well. But if if you really, truly, truly know that what you're doing is impactful, if you're really, truly passionate about it, go all in. You don't have to split that time between, you know, your full time job in Main Street in your business. Go full on at, at your business. That would be my best advice. Um, if I could start over, I would not have accepted a full-time position. I do love my job, but um, I would just say go full, go full throttle. Um, don't let up.
1: So if somebody wants to learn more about Maxwell House, what's the best way of getting hold of you or somebody on your team?
0: Yes, my website is maxwellhouse.realestate. And I can be contacted at contact us at maxwellhouse.realestate.
1: Well, good stuff. Congratulations on all the success and all the momentum. Ambria, you're doing important work and we appreciate you.
0: Thank you. I appreciate your time.
1: All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on GSU ENI Radio.